Well, good morning to you, <laughs> and uh, welcome to Manual Bible Church. So good to see your smiling faces this morning, and uh, so good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, for those of you watching live stream, welcome to you as well. This weekend, we just want to remember, uh, as this is Memorial Day weekend, the many that have sacrificed their lives to give us the freedoms that we enjoy. So we thank you to all the brave men and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice. It reminds us that freedom is not free. But uh, tomorrow is uh, especially Memorial Day celebration, so uh, many parades both here in Sheboygan and Hingham and to go out and uh, honor our current veterans and also to remember those who have died, giving their lives so that we could enjoy these freedoms. I have a few other announcements this morning for you uh, to remember, and uh, the first two are kind of deadlines, like today is the day. So today is the last day that you can give a donation to the Anchor of Hope, if you see in your bulletin. Uh, not sure if it gives a list of items in there that you can uh, uh, bring, or otherwise if you want to just give some money, uh, we have someone that will take care of buying those things and getting them to Anchor of Hope. So if that is on your uh, list for today. Make sure that you take care of that this morning. You can give money to my wife, Karen, and uh, she will take care of that. Today is also the last day that you can RSVP to the uh, Duco 50th wedding anniversary celebration. Bill says it seems like just yesterday he got married and all of a sudden it's 50 years. So no, he, didn't, he didn't really say that, but uh, congratulations to, to both of them. And if you would like to join them for that uh, occasion, make sure that you turn in your RSVP. Uh, tonight, uh, we will be having an evening service at 6 o'clock, and uh, it's a continuation of the look at the four Gospels, and uh, last time we did that, I learned a lot of things, and you know, I've got gray hair, but I'm still learning stuff, so uh, come along tonight, and uh, you will enjoy the, uh, uh, the time that we spend in the Word of God looking at that. Uh, next week, we have a flock group, and uh, that's at the Twigs Home in Waldo. So if you find yourself asking, where's Waldo? You're not alone. But uh, this is uh, actually very close to where we normally go in Hingham Hall. So uh, we'll give you specific directions for next week, because otherwise, you know, asking you to remember a whole week ahead of time, that's hard for me to do. So uh, next week, just keep that in mind that we'll be having flat group out at the Twigs Home. And uh, the ladies' uh, Thursday morning uh, Bible Fellowship would like to remind you that they will be meeting uh, all summer long. Uh, they'll be meeting at church in the summer months, and uh, come, come and go as you please, and when you're able to attend, if you uh, miss something and you'd like to catch up, just contact Beth Cunard, and she'll get you the notes uh, and everything that way, so... All right, two more announcements. Uh, save the date for our annual picnic is on Sunday, July 10th. You won't want to miss that one. Uh, Memorial uh, Veterans Park in Oosburg. And then lastly, August 7th, a baptism service is uh, being planned. So if you sense the Lord's leading in that, um, please contact Pastor Kurt. All right. Well, Memorial Day weekend, we'll be remembering in prayer uh, those who have gone on before us, especially those who have passed away 
in the service of our country. We should be uh, deeply grateful for them. I noticed there are a few families that are camping. You can kind of tell there are some empty spots here. Uh, so um, we uh, miss them. Uh, now, I was talking to Jane and uh, Bill and Jane's 50th anniversary. Uh, uh, um, Brad said that Bill had mentioned that it felt like 50 years was just one day. Jane said the opposite. She said she's felt every year. No, she did not say that. I'm teasing. We had, oh, yeah, we, we were out a bunch of us uh, for dinner on Fridays, good fellowship. And uh, I think I sat right across from Jane, and I promise she did not say that. <laughs> All right. Well, our family of the week this week is the Nellisons. Phil, I called you on Friday and left a message on your voicemail. So do, do you get the voicemail on your cell phone, or should I be calling a different phone? <laughs> My bad. I'm, I probably should have called again. But uh, So I don't have any specific requests uh, to mention from them, but uh, let's remember uh, just them in general. <clears throat> And then uh, our overseas servants of the week are David and Danielle. And so here are some requests that they have shared. First, the language and culture acquisition. In the country in Southeast Asia where they serve, the gospel is not allowed. Okay, it's, uh, it's a closed country. They're there because of a business that they help to run, pretty much run, but uh, being there, you know, in such a foreign environment to learn a language that's that hard, plus the differences in culture, is a, it's a big, big hurdle. So uh, pray for their language and culture acquisition. Then also pray for blessings on the harvest of the coffee that they grow. This is supposed to be the biggest crop they've ever had, and it's a lot of work to bring it down from the mountains in harvest and then to dry it all out and to get it ready. And they do specialty coffee. This is really expensive coffee that you and I probably would never buy. Uh, but um, that's the type that they produce. So pray for them as they have a lot of work ahead of them in the next month. And then also the ability to complete the remodel of their home. They may be done with that already. We're not really sure. But, you know, they... When, when we talk about missionaries remodeling a home, we might be thinking of like fancy wood paneling or something like that. I promise you, we're talking about putting in a flush toilet kind of thing. You know, just the very, very basics. So uh, that they be able to complete that remodel as a prayer request. And finally, grace and strength for Danielle with the homeschooling of their children. Finally, our persecuted saints of the week this week are Moose and his family from Vietnam. Yeah, so you can see their house, okay? That happened because this man and his family have led numbers of other families in their village to the Lord, and they've been using this house as a church. So just look at that picture as I read. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it really is. This is a picture of a Christian family's home burning down after villagers set it on fire. They lost their home and everything they owned. In northern Vietnam, Moose, I'm not sure if that it's, that's exactly how to pronounce it, M-O-O-S, Moose and his family refused 
to renounce their faith. When they began sharing the gospel with their neighbors and using their home as a church to disciple the ten families they led to Christ, the attacks on them grew more violent. This is what our persecuted family of the week this week endures for following Christ. So let's pray for Moose and his family as they try to rebuild and continue to share the gospel with those in their village. We have it so good. Thank you for all the fallen who have died for our freedom. This could be us, you know. Let's pray. Our Father, we lift Moose and his wife and children up at this time. In fact, the other ten families in their village who have accepted your son as their savior and are now following you. All of these are under differing degrees of persecution, but none more than Moose's family. We pray for them. We pray for provision for them, for a place just to lie their heads uh, outside, you know, uh, from outside and not being under the rain. We pray for food for them, um, for basic clothing, as now they probably just have one set of clothing. Uh, We ask that you'll uh, allow Moose to keep his job and not to be rejected from it. We pray that uh, you will allow them to rebuild. We pray especially for their spiritual and emotional health. We think of the children and what they must be going through right now. Strengthen those little kids. Help them to understand persecution and that Jesus is more. He's beyond, he's worth more to them than their house or their clothes or their toys. That's easy to pray. Probably very hard to understand. So we pray for them. Uh, We ask that you'll allow them to meet somewhere. Maybe none of the other ten families will allow them to meet in their homes. We don't know, but Father, whether it's a home or whether it's some other location, Maybe it's even outside. We just we pray that there'll be a, some location where they can meet and sing and pray together and hear the word preached and taught. We pray for David and Danielle for their language acquisition. It's uh, very hard to learn tonal languages, things we really don't even have in English that are common in Southeast Asia. So help them to hear the tones with their ears and then be able to say the same word in six or seven different ways with six or seven different meanings. We pray that they'll be able to grasp the reasons as best they can behind what happens in the culture, to understand when people are offended over things that we would never even get, but that bother them and their village. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will uh, enable them to complete the remodeling of their home. Preferably, uh, it will be done very, very soon, just as the harvest now is coming in. And for that, Lord, we ask that they'll be able to get the entire crop harvested, ripe, and brought down in uh, waves as each of the beans gets prepared and then for them to be able to dry it all out and get it bagged and then shipped. It's a huge undertaking for such a few people. And so we pray that you'll enable them to get it all done, even hire maybe some to help. 
And then grace and strength we would ask for Danielle as she is doing homeschooling. We pray for Phil and Lori. Uh, we love them, Lord. They are a special part of our church and have been now for something like three or four years. And we just we pray that you will um, grant them spiritual growth and strength. May, may their marriage never have been better as they continue to walk with you. We pray that uh, you will enable them to serve. I know that Lori has helped numerous ladies, some in her neighborhood, uh, others who are in nursing homes or who are still at home but need help. Uh, we don't even hear about all these things that she does, but Lord, she's very involved. So we pray for her uh, as she serves and for Phil as well. And then uh, we pray for our service today. Uh, may we not forget the sacrifice that so many have given for the freedoms that we enjoy. We, we sometimes do take those freedoms for granted, but not today. Uh, we, we know that our freedoms are being encroached on even now, and we pray uh, that you will protect us as Christians from the onslaught of evil that Satan and his minions would bring to us, to our church, to our families, to us as individuals. Lord, hedge us about, protect us, and in fact, may we not turtle up, but instead be all the more bright as a light for the gospel and all the more endeavoring to love our enemies. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, raise your hand if uh, any of you have ever taken the time to actually watch a sunset from beginning all the way to the end. You've, you've taken that time to do that. Uh, the theme we're going to have in our, our worship time together today uh, is our songs that deal with anxiety or uh, the pressures of life. Uh, we know as believers that on Christ the solid rock we stand and that that I can't even picture, I can't imagine going through, uh, going through life without, without that solid foundation to stand on, without the word to comfort me. And uh, this first song that we're going to be singing, uh, it's one of the most memorable uh, stories of, a, of any of the songs I've ever looked at, and I'll explain it. This song was written the night of a pastor, the last sermon that he ever preached. He had served as a pastor for 26 years, and he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. And back at this time, uh, they didn't have a cure for tuberculosis. And so doctors back at this time, you've probably seen it in movies, what the doctors would do is they would often... Uh, with diseases like this, they would send someone to extend their life. They would send them to the ocean down, in this case, down to the south of France. And so this man had just that day preached his last sermon to his congregation, and he was going to go on to the remainder of his life. 
and he had a lot of emotions. And that's, that's what this song is written about. It's a beautiful, it, when you hear that background and then you see the words, I think it'll even help you understand the comfort that, and the thoughts that were going through his mind. Uh, just beautiful comfort that God was, go- was going to be giving with him. He wanted the Lord to abide with him in that next chapter. And uh, he did go to the south of France and died a short time after that. But these words were sung for the very first time at his funeral. And uh, it's, it's a joy to know the Lord during hard times like this. I can't imagine um, going through things without, without our salvation. So why don't we stand and let's, uh, with that in our mind, let's sing, Abide With Me. together now.
main shadows flee in life and death O Lord abide with me in Christ alone drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness saved, then bursting forth day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Sing it out now. No gift in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand something very interesting about that song number one it's a modern day 
him. Just like back in the 1800s, the, the doctrine of hymns were so rich, it was so beautiful, but the, uh, Keith, and, uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend wrote that song. But the, this song is interesting because the wrath of God was satisfied. Those words that we just sung, that eliminates this song from being able to be sung in some denominations because they don't believe that the wrath of God was truly satisfied. Think of those words. So let's, uh, let's sing, Because He Lives. Because he lives. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died. To buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to know my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know. worth the living just because he lives how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river, I'll fight life's fine, no war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory I'll see the light of glory and although he reigns because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know Because he lives. Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord, for rising and conquering death. You do live. You are standing at the right hand of the Father, and I praise you today, thanking you because you live, I can face tomorrow. And thank you so much for providing for us and giving to us each day. We give back to you now. Thank you for giving us all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today's scripture, scripture reading will be in Genesis 49, starting in verse 28. If you would please rise for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. <clears throat> then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, 
and the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There he buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There he buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed, embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for the embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I have hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he had made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him, with him, both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And so we're singing songs this morning about the comfort of God and how uh, it can be the rock to us in the middle of a storm. I just can't even imagine any of us going through uh, some of the things some of our families have gone through without Christ. I just can't imagine that. So our final song here before the message is going to be still, my soul be still.
so be still. Do not be moved by lesser lights and fleeing shadows. Hold on to his ways with shield of temptations flaming arrows God you are my God and I will trust in you and not be shaken Lord a peace renewed a steadfast spirit within me to rest in to rest in you alone. Still, my soul, be still. Do not forsake the truth you learned in the beginning. Wait upon the stars appear when day is dim. God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord, a peace renewed, a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you. Thank you so much. What a great way to <clears throat> introduce the sermon. What a great song. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 4, so if you would like to open up ahead, that'd be great. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 4, I've got a little bit of allergies going on, so I may be clearing my throat a little more than normal. Uh, Leviticus 4, we'll in a minute read verses 1 through 12. People around the world have some really strange rituals, don't they? For example, when a person turns 25, if they're still unmarried in the country of Denmark, their neighbors will pour water over them and then dump cinnamon all over their bodies. Now, I have no idea why, I don't know what the custom is, but it's not hazing, it's actually considered a fun event. Strange ritual. Why in Central Asia do they play polo on horses with sticks, not with a ball, but with the carcass of a dead goat? I have no idea. My favorite, why do the Hindus of southern India go to their priest at the temple and have them break a coconut over their heads as a way to ask the gods to give them good health. 
<laughs> to me, I'm thinking, uh, by the way, the Indian government is trying to encourage them to stop doing that because people really do get hurt when this happens. Now, look, look, all right. Before we go getting all judgmental on other cultures, we do some really strange things ourselves. For example, why in our culture do people break a bottle of champagne on the prow of a big ship as it's being launched? Why do they give a green jacket to the winner of the Masters Golf Tournament? Why in the world does the President of the United States take time out of his busy schedule to pardon a turkey? I don't know. Um, why do we predict the onset of spring by watching the activities of a groundhog? Why in some parts of America, like where I'm from in Iowa, do they practice bride kidnapping? You familiar with that? You haven't heard of that? All right. I must be a hick, right, from Iowa originally, but uh, bride kidnapping. So my grandfather, after my grandmother had passed away, a few years later got remarried, and he literally got handcuffs from the sheriff uh, and then handcuffed himself to his bride so that his bride wouldn't be kidnapped. They take her away, and I don't even know. I, don't, I wasn't old enough to remember uh, why or even know why. At the time, but before you go judging me, thinking I'm a heck from being from Iowa, I mean, we have some kind of strange things we do up here too. Pro probably one of the strangest is the Polar Bear Club. I mean, I don't know what in the world would possess anyone from Green Bay to run out into you know the the Lake Michigan or Green Bay with ice and freezing cold water, right? All right, rituals. Why do we do them? Well, sometimes there's actually deep meaning behind them. And what we want to be talking about today is the rituals of the sacrifices that we read about in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. They seem pretty strange, don't they? They, they kind of do, right? Well... I want to encourage you not to judge God's rituals as weird, but instead to look beyond the details and seek to understand the why. Why did God have all of these, all this information about the animal sacrifices? Some of our rituals are just as strange, but some of those rituals have obvious meaning when you stop to think about them. Maybe the ceremony, the ritual that we have that contains more meaning than any other that I could think of is marriage. When a bride and a groom get together in our culture and get married, the ceremony, depend, I mean, they don't all do the same things, but that ceremony is jam-packed with meaning. Everything from the ring and what it means. And it's not just you see it on the finger and it belongs to you. There's more meaning to it. Or the kiss or the unity candle and so on. You know, when we drive by a church and we see a, 
a lady in a long white dress and a man in a tuxedo come out of it, and everybody's throwing rice at them, we know what's happening, right? Because that's just what we do after somebody gets married. We know they're not angry at them. By the way, be thankful for rice. My wife told me they used to throw shoes uh, before it was rice. Back in the day, they threw shoes at people. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I could just see that little nine-year-old boy <laughs> pelting, you know, one of them with a shoe. Uh, anyway, um, we know what's going on when we see people throwing rice at this couple, and we know it's not, there's nothing bad intended. Well, with the Hebrew peoples in their day, when we're reading the book of Leviticus, we have to understand they were just as familiar with the rituals of the tabernacle as we are with the rituals of our day. They knew why. They may not always have understood all the deeper meaning, but they knew why these things were happening. So what we're going to try to accomplish today is to understand the why behind the sacrifices of Leviticus. So turn, if you haven't already, to Leviticus chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, Then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. Does that sound strange? A strange ritual. Verse 5. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting, and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat, see, listen to all these details, all the ritual seven times and sprinkle it here, pour the rest there. What do you do with the different parts of the animal? Seems kind of strange. Now, hopefully not to us. Hopefully we're familiar enough with Leviticus uh, that we understand it. But I'm telling you, the reason that I wanted to preach through Leviticus was because I did not grasp, at least not very well, 
what the, what the purposes of the sacrifices were, or why Leviticus 11 through 15 and the laws of uncleanness, or what's going on with the feasts of Leviticus 23 and so on. Lots of ritual with some really important deep meanings, but I didn't understand them, at least not well. And so that's what the purpose of the sermon Today and the other sermons in the series are is to help us understand the why behind it. Again, verse 8. All the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside of the camp to a clean place to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. Let's pray. Our Lord, this morning, would you help me to communicate some of the deep truths of these sacrifices in a way that is just so simple that it will be clear to all. Use this vessel, use your word to illumine us, to understand the price that had to be paid, to understand the effect that our sins have on not just us, but on our families and on our church community and on you ultimately. All these things are contained in in these sacrifices, Lord, may Christ, the ultimate fulfillment, the payment of payments, may he be magnified as we continue today. We pray that you'll open our eyes in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Let's try today to understand the deep meaning behind each of the sacrifices. What important questions can we ask that will help us to discover the deep meaning of these rituals? Look, this is tough stuff. Even, even the Israelites got confused. It's not just us who are reading this who may get confused over this, this stuff, but in, you look at Psalm, I think it's 50 verses 12 and 13, I mean, even the Israelites themselves got confused sometimes about the purpose of these sacrifices. So what we're going to do today is ask and answer seven questions that should reveal uh, the purposes of these sacrifices to us. So the first one of these is, what is the order and significance of the sacrifices. All right, so there are five sacrifices in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. 
in the order in which they occur, they are the whole burnt offering, Leviticus 1, the grain offering, Leviticus 2, the fellowship meal, Leviticus 3, the purification offering, which we just read part of, and then in chapter 5 and 6, the reparation offering. What's the purpose of these five offerings? Well, the salvific significance, first of all, for the two offerings in Leviticus 4 and 5, the purification and reparation offerings, the salvific significance there is justification from sin. Okay? We need to be saved before we can practice the whole burnt offering, the grain offering, or the fellowship meal. They needed, in other words, cleansing from sin in order to meet with God. All right, now, why then does the whole burnt offering come first? Well, the reason for that is that God, as he was communicating to Moses, wanted the Israelites who were already, in God's eyes, justified to be struck with the most important spiritual lesson of all for them, which was the consecration of their entire beings to the Lord. So all of these sacrifices are given as given by God as a way to open the access to him who is perfect and pure and holy for those people who are not. <laughs> those people who are sinful and need God to do something on their behalf if they are to meet with him. So what we're looking at today, purification, and next week uh, also purification and then reparation offerings, these, these give us access to God by saving us. But then Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, the whole burnt offering, what is it teaching us? Well, if we want to come into God's presence, then our entire lives have to be surrendered. This is what Leviticus 1 teaches. Consecration of self. The grain offering, Leviticus 2, teaches us that our time and stuff needs to be surrendered to meet with God. And then the fellowship meal. What is it teaching us in Leviticus 3? It's all about enjoying God's presence. It's about union with God, or for us today, union with Christ. That's the ultimate goal of all of the sacrifices. It is to dwell with God. That's the first question. Second question, what does the word atonement mean? All right, so this is one that I've been playing with for about 30 years. <laughs> no joke. I mean, I had to do a paper on this word back in the day. And I definitely was still confused when I wrote that paper uh, about what atonement meant. This has been uh, not a lifelong pursuit, but it has consumed little parts of my time here and there for decades. And I believe that what I'm about to share should hopefully just take the mystery out of this word and just simplify it. 
and make it really easy. This word occurs so often in the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus, that it's, it's essential that we grasp what it means. So you know the word, the Hebrew word, atonement, because you, you hear about it sometimes in America today. Why do you hear this word kippur? In fact, when I say it, does that ring a bell? It's the celebration of Yom Kippur. It's actually Yom in Hebrew, but Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is celebrated this year on October 4th and 5th, 10 days after the beginning of the Jewish New Year, which happens in September. So you know this word, even in English, Kippur. When, when it's translated, typically in our Bibles, Kippur gets the gloss or the translation atonement. Now, what is atonement? Well, this is, this is important. It means, if we break the word up into three parts, at one meant, whatever provides the atonement gives us the privilege of being at one with God. But that's not all. In fact, that's definitely not all that I want to mention regarding this word. What is it that the word at one is conveying? Yes, it's conveying that whatever is giving us the privilege of meeting with God allows us to be at one with him, but it is conveying something, if we can call it, if I can use the word again, deeper. What is the definition then of the word kippur or atonement? The deeper definition or its actual meaning. We could translate it this way, by the way, in our Bibles. It means ransom purification. When you read the word atonement, you might want to write this down somewhere in your Bible, maybe at the right at the beginning of Leviticus. When you see the word atonement, it means two things. It's communicating two basic ideas. The Hebrew peoples would have known this word just like we know the word green. You say, what do you mean the word green? Green's a color. Yeah, well, depends on what the context is. Green also can be something that you golf on. Green can be a greenback. It might, you might say greenback and you mean money. Green might be a novice. There are something like eight or nine different uses of the word green. Okay, So we know green. Can you imagine trying to learn the word green if English were your second language? It would be brutal. And it's not even one of the worst words. There are some that are a lot harder. Well, with kippur, it means ransom. And purification, two ideas simultaneously. Okay, so let's talk about both of those ideas. Question number three. Let's talk about the idea behind atonement, which, first of all, will be purification. And then next we'll talk about ransom. When you see atonement, it means to purify. So question number three. Why did the Israelites need to be purified? It's because sin makes us spiritually dirty. Psalm 51 verse 2 contains this idea. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity 
and cleanse me from my sin. Parents, do you have to call your kids in at night? We used to have to, my mom used to have to holler and, you know, get us in when it was getting dark. Now it's almost like we have to force kids outside. But uh, when I was a little boy, I used to play in the dirt all the time. Army men, matchbox cars. My mom said that uh, my elbows would get so just, in, in, I don't even know the word, <laughs> infused with dirt that no matter what she did, she could never get all the dirt stain off of my elbows from me playing in the dirt. These were the days before Gojo soap. You know, some of that really good, powerful stuff. Like dirt to a boy's elbows, sin clings to our souls. It makes us dirty. And the only cleanser that is powerful enough to wash away the spiritual stain that happens to our souls when we sin is blood. Blood is the spiritual gojo that cleans our souls. That's why the Israelites needed atonement, because they were dirty. Now, a related question to purification, number four, did a person's sin affect only themselves? In Israel, like in Eastern cultures today, when somebody sinned, it didn't just bring dishonor upon them. Let me give you a, a modern day illustration. So if you know anything about Filipino culture, it's, it's very different from our culture. In our culture, we're, we're independent, mostly. We're independent. We're a unit. We're not, we're not really all that corporate in the way that we think. But in the East, it's, it's a very different way of, of uh, viewing life. They're all together. So let me give an illustration that will help you to understand what happens in the Philippines, but what was happening here in Leviticus. If someone, as an example in the Philippines, were to get irate at a boss. They're at work, the boss does something, says something, and the employee loses it and yells at his boss. What's going to happen? Well, after a little bit and that guy calms down, you know, his anger starts to subside, he's going to He's, gonna, he's not only going to just feel bad, he's going to realize what just happened in his village. When someone sins in a, in a, by hurting another person, we don't, it's not like this in America. It just isn't. But when you, sin, when you sin like that in their culture and you deface someone like your boss... You, once that word gets around in your village, everyone in your village is going to look down on you. And it's going to stick, and it's not going to go away. 
at least not for a, a long time. But here's the, here's the kicker. You might think, well, it's only going to be this guy that the village is going to look down on because he was the one who sinned. That's how we think in America. That's not how they think there. And that's not how the Bible works. No, it, they aren't going to just look down on this guy who lost his cool at work. They are going to look down upon this guy's parents. They're going to look down upon, this man hasn't just brought shame on himself, he's brought shame on everybody who's related to him. Shame on his parents, they're going to look down on his grandparents, his aunts and uncles, his brothers and sisters, if he has children upon them, nieces and nephews, the whole clan now has a smudge on it in their village. And that's what's happening. Sometimes, if you think of now Leviticus and other books too, uh, if, you, if you think about them with that in mind, then you start to realize why some of the things that you're reading seem a little bit strange, like Achan, <laughs> you know, and his sin in Joshua 7 and so forth. These things are not too strange. Or like, uh, what is it, number 16, and the rebellion and what happens, not just to the ones who rebelled, but to a whole bunch of others, too, who were part of their family. These are just two examples. There are gobs of them. In fact, there are a lot of them even in the book of Leviticus. But there's something that was unique to Israel alone. At least as far as I know, I haven't seen this anywhere else in any other culture. Uniquely in Israel, someone's sin not only brought a smudge on themselves and upon their families, but it even brought dishonor upon God. Grasp that. Understand that. Now, we can understand that. We can relate. Let's say we had a deacon in our church. I'm not picking on anybody in our church, but let's just say we had a deacon in our church. They were a financial manager somewhere, and they got caught embezzling money from their employer. And it hit the news and so forth. You know what would happen? That, that news would affect, obviously, that deacon, but it would affect our church. And, and unbelievers who are already looking for a reason to criticize us would use that as just one more means of you know, attacking. So understand that in Israel, when somebody sinned, they were doing something that affected themselves, their families, but also their Lord. So the key is to understand that when a person sins, they're affecting all of those that they are related to themselves, their families, their whole nation, and their God. Listen to these verses out of Leviticus 16. Thus, the high priest shall make atonement. There's our word, atonement, atonement. What does atonement mean? It always is carrying two primary ideas. Ransom, which we haven't talked about yet, and purification, which we're trying to finish right now. Ransom and purification. The high priest shall make ransom purification 
for the holy place because of the uncleanness of God of the people of Israel. Wait a minute. Why does God's house get dirty? <laughs> That's not right. It's not fair. In our culture, it doesn't seem right. But in an Eastern culture, this makes sense. Sklar, I thought I would bring, where did I put it? Um, one of my favorite commentaries on Leviticus and just uh, uh, let you see it and you might want to buy it. So this is a commentary of the Tyndale Old Testament Commentary Series. It's written by a man named J. Uh, Sklar. Now he's writing a big, big, huge commentary that's coming. It was supposed to have already come out uh, even before I started this series. It still hasn't come out. Now it's been backdated until already 2023. It's hard work to produce something of quality like this. But this, this commentary is one of the best. I have over 20 commentaries in Leviticus right behind my desk that I turn to. Some of them, one of them is three volumes, and literally on my shelf it takes up that much space. One commentary. There's so much just on Leviticus. But this is the most simple commentary that I have found uh, on this book. And it, there, it's still deep at times, but it is the most accessible. So if you're interested, um, you may want to obtain that book and do some reading in it. But, but this man named Jay Sklar likens an Israelite's sin to, and I quote, an unholy dust that arose from their act, their sinful act, and settled on the Lord's sanctuary. What did the purification and reparation offerings do? They, if you want to call it this or liken it to this, they wiped the dust away. The sinful, um, the sinful effects that settled down on God's house. They, the, the shame that was brought on God, God himself and his house by his people's acts, that was wiped away. But, but what is the cleaning? It's not, it's not end dust, you know, that, that was used to wipe away the, the spiritual dust here. No, it was blood. The dust is wiped away by blood. Question number five. Why did the Israelites need to be ransomed? Okay, remember the word atonement. Atonement means at one minute, that which allows sinful human beings to fellowship with a holy God, at one minute. But again, what does, what's the deeper meaning of atonement? Atonement means, think of it as a, a hyphenated, uh, almost uh, single word, it means ransom purification. We've talked about the purification side of atonement. Now let's talk about the ransom side. Since the Israelites were guilty of sin, they deserved punishment. And I think we all know, what is the punishment for sin? It is, if we have to pay it ourselves, 
because we're finite beings, not infinite beings like Jesus, who can, by his death, pay for an infinite debt, but because we're finite and cannot, by our actions, pay for an infinite sinful debt, what has to happen if we're guilty apart from the sacrifices of the Old Testament or the sacrifice to which all those pointed, which is Jesus. Guilt from sin deserves, and this is harsh, this is Bible, it deserves eternal punishment in hell. If someone stole your identity, it'd be hard, right? It'd be brutal, really. Trying to regain your identity, that happens all too often now in our world. But if they stole your identity and emptied out your bank account and your retirement account, your 401k, and then they were eventually caught, the FBI tracked them down, and they were actually able to find the whatever, I'm not a computer guy, so the PIN number or whatever that is, they found the number from where you were from or where that criminal was from, and they arrested him. It doesn't happen too often, but let's say it. Say the guy got arrested. Maybe he wasn't from Russia or North Korea. He was actually from the States and did this. And he gets arrested, goes to court, and the judge says, you know what? Don't do it again. See ya. You don't get any money back. There's no... You would feel violated. You would, <laughs> you would argue that our justice system failed you. Yeah, it would have failed you. You'd be appalled if a judge found him guilty but didn't punish him. Sin deserves punishment. This is the basis of our whole nation, our, our laws. Sin deserves, wrongdoing deserves punishment. If we don't punish those who are guilty, then those who aren't yet guilty will dream up all kinds of things to do. We have to, we, as a society, we must practice this or we lose what we have. And where do we get all this from? We get it not from the Romans or the Greeks or something like that. No, we get it from the Bible. Not to say that the Romans didn't have a judicial system. Surely they did. Of course they did. But, uh, but we get our understanding of these concepts out of the scripture. So here's the deal. Sin deserves punishment. That's why we need a ransom. You and I have to have a ransom. The Old Testament Israelites, they needed a ransom. What do you mean ransom? Yeah, that's what we're that's where we're going. We need a ransom. Here's the deal. Somebody has to pay. Either we must pay for our sin or someone else must. Thank God for Jesus Christ, the one that he sent, his only son, who paid for our sins. The, he, he took upon himself the punishment that we deserve apart from him. We are literally burnt or would be eventually burnt toast. To ransom them. When we use the word ransom, we, are use, we mean to rescue, to 
to save from punishment, to rescue from all the ultimate penalty, which is not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternity away from God, eternity in hell. The lifeblood, and I use that word carefully, the lifeblood of the sacrifices. Now we're talking not Jesus, though they're pointing to that, but now we're back into Leviticus. The lifeblood of the sacrifices was the payment for sin that God required. Question number six. Who was paying for the salvation of the Israelites through sacrifice? Who was paying? Were the Israelites paying for their own salvation with their sacrifices? Or was God paying for their salvation? That's a good question, right? Isn't that one that has occurred to you? Well, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 makes the, you know, clarifies this and answers this question. By the way, Leviticus 17.11 was a verse I had to memorize years ago. We, in Bible college, we had to memorize in all the classes, I counted them up, slightly over 500 verses. That's a lot of memorization, isn't it? So we had to memorize over 500 verses. One of those verses, they were the choice ones, the, the, the most important selected ones, and one of the ones that was really important, is really important, is this verse. Let me read it for you. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood gives life. Blood is what maintains life. And blood is what is required for life. That is a life for a life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given the sacrifices for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. There's our word atonement again. Atonement for yourselves. Ransom and purification for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. One life must pay for another life. Does that make sense? But but the part that I want to examine more carefully is the word I in Leviticus 17.11. We don't have anything like this in English. But Hebrew has some stuff like this. Greek has stuff like this. English, we do have some things that are related to it. This is a reflexive I. Reflexive, what do you mean? Okay, well, we have reflexive pronouns in English. Myself, himself. Ourselves, my with the word or the suffix self, or him or her with the suffix self. So we have some reflexive in, reflexives in English, just not as many as uh, the biblical languages have. So here we have a reflexive. Again, verse 11 of Leviticus 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I, Hebrew reflexive, God is saying, I myself have given the sacrifices for you on the altar. That just clarified any doubts that we may have had. Who is paying for the salvation of the Israelites through sacrifice? It is the Father. It is God. It is his grace that allows these sacrifices to pay. 
So God himself provides the way to purify and to rescue. He, the Hebrews by themselves could do nothing. They could not save themselves. And this is even more clear in Jesus, where the Father provides his own Son to purify and rescue helpless sinners. We cannot save ourselves, and they could not save themselves. The last question, question number seven. Did the animal sacrifices actually pay for sin? <laughs> I wrote a paper on this one too, and I didn't understand. Uh, this was back, way back when I was surprised that I got anything but an F on that paper, because I, I really didn't. I, I guess I had a few things that were good, but clearly didn't understand uh, what was happening. It, it's taken years. I've been working decades just on, you know, again, just here and there, little, you know, you, all these different questions that you have in your mind. And, you know, uh, we, we have a question and we hear this, we read this, we, we start adding all these things together and eventually we have a good answer. They become clear. So if you have not thought about this or don't have an answer yet for this, then, then let's answer it. Did the animal sacrifices actually pay for the sins of the Israelites? In other words, what is the relationship between sacrifice, blood of the bull, goat, whatever, and forgiveness? What's the relationship? <clears throat> the book of Leviticus makes clear that sacrificial atonement leads to the sinner being forgiven. Chapter 4, verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 10. And okay. Uh, which is, we'll be looking in the next couple of weeks at these verses. So, book of Leviticus makes it clear that the sacrifices lead to the sinner being forgiven. However, the book of Hebrews makes something else very clear. It clearly states, and I quote, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So does the blood of bulls and goats pay for sin or not? Is there a contradiction between Leviticus and Hebrews? Of course not. There's no contradiction. But in our minds there may be, and for, for a long time there has been, a minor, not a major, but a minor contradiction in my head. And I've been trying to figure all this out. All right, so how are these two ideas? That the animals provide atonement, ransom, purification for the Israelites, but Hebrews says that it's impossible for the blood of those animals to take away sins. So do they provide atonement or not? We can compare the Old Testament animal sacrifice and I got this illustration from this book. Okay, it's in the introduction, not, not on the chapter 4 section. But um, an illustration that just, I mean, I, I already had understood it by now, but, but this illustration just nailed it, locked it down for me. And I hope it will for you. We can compare the Old Testament animal sacrifices to writing in our day a check, a piece of paper, that by itself has, can I use a sound effect? Eh, you know, no value, none. 
That check has no value except by what it represents. Does that make sense? When someone receives a check for payment, they hold a piece of paper that temporarily covers a debt. Not all businesses will even accept a check because it has no value by itself. The paper is worthless unless it is cashed. But here's the deal. In the Old Testament, God couldn't have cashed that check or it would have bounced. There was no value in the account before Christ. So the Old Testament sacrifices are like a check. Now, have you ever post-dated a check? I have. There were days when I was young when I was so poor I had to post-date a check because the money wasn't even there to you know, cover something. And uh, whoever I wrote it to was gracious and allowed me to do that. Well, Old Testament sacrifices were like a post-dated check. God accepted the sacrifices and forgave because he knew there would eventually be money in the account. That is, he knew that Jesus' blood would be shed for them to pay the debt in full. And only his blood, only that can be the spiritual gojo to actually wipe all cleanse us entirely. You, you can't get all the dirt out of the elbows of a seven-year-old boy, right? Well, you can get all the sin off of and out of the soul through the blood of Christ. The most powerful cleansing agent known to man is the blood of Christ, not anything else. He earned the grace that could pay the debt for sin. So in conclusion, the next time you read Leviticus, I hope it'll be more meaningful for you. I hope you'll try to get past the what seems to us like weird rituals. Like why would anybody jump in ice water? You know, people around the world think we're just totally bonkers for doing that. And maybe we are. Uh, I'm not going to do it. But anyway, you know, uh, maybe you've tried it once, done it once, just to say you did well. You know what? People think that stuff's weird. And it is. But you, okay, the rituals, at least a lot of them, have meaning. And the meaning behind all the details of the rituals, mm, it's, 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 it's deep because behind all the sacrifices of Leviticus is Christ. Those rituals teach us about ourselves and what we possess in Christ. So the, you know, next week you're going to be driving by high school maybe and you're going to observe a ritual. It's the ritual of graduation and you are going to look at a whole bunch of seniors that have the weirdest looking hats on that you've ever seen, right? I mean, who ever thought of the mortarboard hat, uh, you know, for, for, I don't know, I don't know where it comes from, but boy, that thing sure looks weird. But you know right away what's happening. I know there are like seven graduating uh, seniors, most of them from high school, I think one or two from college this year at our church. Uh, not all of them are here today. Some are away camping. I think three of them are away camping. But anyway, um, 
we're, we're going to have a big graduation uh, train uh, this year as, as I hand out uh, the graduation gifts. Well, you know what? What seems strange to maybe people from other countries who have never seen the weird hats isn't weird to us. In fact, it tells us right away what's going on. And that's the way the sacrifices were to the Old Testament Israelites. They knew what these things were for. So our goal as a church, next time we read through Leviticus individually, will be to slow down enough to grasp what these rituals teach us. Let's pray. Our Lord, uh, today we have, I hope, enjoyed the discussion behind the rituals of the sacrifices, the meanings of words and of deeper concepts. I pray that we will not look at this book ever again as something that feels weird, seems strange, but that we will go the proverbial extra mile, Lord, to learn. Teach us. Open your word for us. May it communicate Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so as we close, just wanting to kind of sum up what is what was our worship about today? Really, the, the focus of our worship was on uh, really the command of God for us not to be carrying the cares of this world anymore. First uh, Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And I pray that uh, these, the songs really were a blessing to us. We have one final one. And what I'd encourage you to do for this song, not really one that's as familiar. So maybe why don't we pick up our hymnals uh, and turn to 743. 743 and we'll sing Wonderful Peace. So why don't we grab that and we could, uh, we could stand or if you choose you could sing the song off of here. Let's go ahead and stand. treasure I have
piece of that song even the words say if you don't have it please accept it so please if there's anyone here if you the you're just so troubled and you're not sure of your salvation please see myself see pastor kurt see any anyone here really that we can we can speak confidently to you how you can know today that today could be your day of salvation i pray that will happen that we could rejoice with you for that. In Jesus' name. All right, so we, you are dismissed.